Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Alvesden, kicking things off for us tonight. Brand new single from Little Scream. That is called Still Life from the forthcoming album Speed Queen, which will come out on Dynalone October 25th here in Canada and on Merge in the U.S. and elsewhere. Looking forward to hearing more from Lauren Sprengelmeyer. Got a busy, busy show tonight. Two different acts stopped by the studios earlier this week to record interviews and live sessions, and we're going to hear both of those later on. Guelph duo, Tragedy Ann. But first, in town to play Cornstalk this Sunday night, and we'll get into that in a little bit, is UK artist Josh Geffen. And uh, we've played something off of Hub and Glow recently, uh, but we got him live in studio right here, right now, 101.5 UMFM. So, uh, First song I'm going to play is called. Uh, actually, sorry, there's just there's quite a lot of delay on the headphones. Um, yeah, that's gone. That's better. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So I'm going to start with a song called Queen Green, which is a song of mine that I wrote. Uh, it's kind of about where I grew up um, in in the south coast of England, in a, quite a rural area. Um, it's sort of a tribute, really, to the landscape around there. Stay me in my eyes and under my feet. 
This is an old folk song called Dink Song, uh, which was discovered in the early 1900s by John Lomax. Listen to what my mom said, then I might still be in a feather bed. Freddy. This is an instrumental piece called January. (laughs) 
This is uh, red, yellow and green. song of mine called Pages.
didn't think I'd believe in I thought it'd be you But in that night you were sleeping I lay awake and knew Of all the things I've been fearing This one's come All right, well, we are in the studio with Josh Geffen, who uh, just graced us with some live tracks. Happy to have you here, and, and thanks for playing some tracks for us, Josh. Thanks a lot. Thanks thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So I, uh, I had a peek at your Instagram, and you had posted about having come to Canada a while back, backpacking, going to Montreal, Algonquin Park. Uh, but is this like the first time you've come to Canada to play, like to perform? That's right, yeah. Yeah, first time to play. So... I know you're not just playing this weekend here in Winnipeg, but you are playing a few other shows while you're here. How did this come about? Yeah, so um, so it came about through uh, through Gary Cornelius, who invited me to come and play here in Winnipeg, uh, his um, his uh, his event that he puts on, and uh, and then uh, I've also got a friend in Toronto uh, who's a singer called Robin Dan, and uh, she's in a band called Bernice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, I met her in London many years ago, and we, we were friends. And um, yeah, so I was in touch with her, and she managed to get me some couple of other gigs, one in Toronto, one in Montreal. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the small world of the music scene that Robin, uh, her bass player, Dan, is a friend of mine. So oh. <laughs> I happened to see that you, it was like, oh, it's St. Bernice. And I was like, oh, wait a second, this is, this is Bernice the band. So, small world. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> um, Speaking of small world, so you you grew up in in the countryside in, in the UK. Uh, I know yeah. that it's your build is from London, UK as as a performer, but uh, yeah. I mean your your roots are are in the countryside. Uh, you mentioned it when you were playing Queen Green. I'm curious about like kind of the dynamic between that like moving to the big city, growing up in in the sticks kind of thing in the UK because it's a vastly different thing I would imagine than like in Canada. Because you're always relatively close to a big city in the UK, just right. by virtue of it being a small place. Whereas here, you can kind of be like 
adrift in some sense. Yeah. Yeah. The distances over here, it's, it's quite hard to get my head around mm -hmm. the distances. Um, yeah, sure. I think, I mean, I actually was born in London, so I lived there till I was seven and then we moved to the countryside. So I sort of feel, feel like I grew up in the countryside really, but I've always had a bit of a mixture. Um, yeah, and I've lived in London for the last 15 years or so. Okay, so childhood in the countryside, yeah, but adulthood back in London. Yeah. Um, does that like experience of, of not necessarily like growing up in the heart of things root your songwriting at all? Like, do you find that you you draw on like the ideal or or the like uh, space that you would have in the country that you wouldn't necessarily have in London? Mm. Yeah, I think. Um, when I first moved to London, sort of, um, I wrote quite a few songs about the countryside and growing up in the countryside. And yeah, I'm a bit of a sucker for nostalgia, I think. <laughs> so there's a bit of that going on. Um, yeah. Um, so I think it definitely informs what I do. And then also I've been getting, you know, got more into traditional folk music, which is obviously also very much tied to the countryside. And um, yeah, so it's definitely a big pull for me that, you know, the landscape and the countryside what got you into the traditional like or exploring the traditional uh english folk music um i think that i mean i'd i'd come across it at festivals and stuff you know going going to festivals as a teenager you hear like these folk bands and stuff and it was sort of in the background but it didn't interest me that much and then um i think the first thing was a singer songwriter called chris wood who who writes his own songs but also has a background in traditional music and i got really into his stuff and then yeah just um just sort of spoke to me i think it's something to do with the authenticity of of that music um you know the fact that the music comes out of people's lives i mean i suppose all music does really but it, it came it comes out of a place of there not being any commercial context um you know when those songs were written or came about they weren't thinking about royalties or airplay or things right. like that yeah um so what what is like an exploration of traditional folk music look like for you? Like what like are you you know finding sheet music of, of songs or are you you know looking at YouTube videos of old old performers or what what what's your exploration pattern pattern or path like? Hmm. Yeah, it's it was interesting. I I was you know in the folk there's quite a good folk scene in London and I was doing some gigs there and um making contacts and I was asked to do some some editing for this group called the Song Collectors Collective and they actually go out and find these old singers who still carry the oral tradition mm. and um record them and uh yeah a friend of mine runs that and he you know I got involved in editing the field recordings as a a job you know for a while and um so that really took me a bit deeper into into that world and found some really great source recordings doing that and then, um, yeah, and then sort of worked with those to try and make them a bit more contemporary. And I made, you know, recorded an EP. Can you pinpoint songs. what exactly, like, certain songs, like, why they resonated? Like, was there, like, a tone or, you know, like, a, a voice to things that resonated? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. What is that ingredient that, you know, really draws you to a song? It's, it's I'm not sure what it is in a way. Um I think a lot of the time it's a sense of melody. I think in the 
especially some of the songs on the EP I did were from uh, unaccompanied recordings. So there was no no chords on there, no harmony. So it was just hearing the kind of raw melody. Right. Um, so yeah. So then the like research, let's call it, or like experience kind of going down this traditional folk path, do you find that that's shaped songs you've written subsequently? Like that you write with an eye on how these will linger or like how they fit within kind of a, a through line? Hmm. I, um, I'm not sure to be honest. I, I think I've never really been that comfortable with writing, um, social kind of commentary songs. Mm-hmm. It's never really come naturally to me. So, um, you know, I, I tend to gravitate to more towards, uh, you know, love songs and that kind of thing, which is obviously is in the folk tradition as well. Um, um, yeah, so I'm not sure how it's kind of influenced my... I think certainly in, in terms of guitar playing, I think it has, because I've been looking at um, tunings, you know, alternative tunings, and mm. that, that was quite a lot in the in the folk world, obviously, that's quite common. And so I think I've taken that in, into my own songwriting a bit. Right. Yeah. You know? You did a, a playlist of Canadian artists that you posted uh, on, on your Instagram. Um, you know, obviously, like Joni Mitchell, Neil Young. I mean, I feel like anyone who has any interest in folk music would, like, list a, a couple tracks from them. But you also had uh, Martha Wainwright. And yeah. uh, I, I'm curious about kind of your connection to Canadian songwriting and, and, like, are there particular people that resonate? And if there's something about it that, like, has drawn you to them? There are definitely people that resonate, and um, certainly, like you say, the, the really the legends. You know, I'm a big fan of Leonard Cohen and you know Neil Young, the people you mentioned, um, and yeah, the Wainwrights. I remember getting really into them in college, actually, when I was studying. A, a few of my friends, we just we really got into their music and went to see them play live in the UK quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do think there's. I don't, I don't know what, what it is, but there's a certain quality to to sort of Canadian singer-songwriters, I think. Yeah, I think that was definitely part of what drew me to, to come here traveling, you know, about eight years ago mm. when I did. Um, just that love of the, the music. You are playing a show in Toronto with Abigail LaPelle and Tim Moxham. Yeah. And I think it's booked by Charlotte Cornfield. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, so obviously all part of kind of this contemporary uh, field of like Canadian singer-songwriters. Um, do you have like artists in, in like like is there kind of a body of people that you're part of in in london in the same way that like you know those three are kind of tied in a in a sort of contemporary canadian setting like are you are you yeah. ca- is there like a, a group to which you belong in some sense yeah i would say so yeah there's definitely a group of us in in london and you know some of the other cities in the uk um who i would say i'm sort of part of the same group yeah um quite a lot of it's around the folk world but there's quite a lot of crossovers between sort of traditional sounding folk and then contemporary folk and it kind of i guess maybe it's the same here but right things um cross over a lot uh are there any particular artists like for those of us who may i mean now obviously with like band camp and soundcloud and stuff there's opportunities to hear people from all over yeah. but like is there someone who you think is just a fantastic songwriter that is like a local hero that maybe just doesn't have uh, visibility across the pond that we should kind of keep an ear open for? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so there's there's a, a guy called Jamie Doe whose stage name is uh, The Magic Lantern and he writes some great songs. He's had some good airplay on the BBC and stuff, but he's, um, yeah, I always sort of feel like he should be more well-known. Um, the Magic Lantern, yeah. And uh, recently I've been getting into an EP by a singer called Flo Perlin and um, I've been talking to her producers about working on my next um, EP. She's great. So was it something about the sound of the record that you wanted to kind of mirror or, or pull from for, yeah, for your next recording? Yeah, I think recordings? it was, yeah. Yeah, really nice production. Kind of folky but also quite contemporary and quite, um, I think, quite accessible for people in general. I think I want my next thing to be to be a bit more modern sounding. Well, I mean, you were finger picking, but you're running your your guitar through some effects, uh, at least on a, on a couple of songs you did here. Yeah, uh, is is it that kind of like Venn diagram of sound that you're looking for in terms of that? Like, obviously, the yeah. finger picking is a very traditional style, mm -hmm. but you know, a lot of the kind of like embellishment is very now or next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's that kind of thing. Yeah, and um, looking at ways of overdubbing stuff and. Right. Yeah, I'm quite keen to explore. Do you treat the studio as like an entirely separate entity than the stage? Like, do you, th you know, when you go in to record in a studio, because you have, you know, the ability to, you know, multi-track, to like layer things, to build the song that's in your head in a, you know, Lego brick stacked on Lego brick kind of way that you wouldn't have when it's just you and your guitar on stage? Like, are those two separate things or do you give thought to like, I'm going to have to play this elsewhere? I think I don't give thought to it. And then no. when it comes to it, I'm like, oh, I should have given more thought to this. Okay. Because <laughs> the last thing I did, um, Hum and Glow, which is my last album, which is an instrumental album, but it's got lots of layers of electric guitar and different effects and stuff. And um, yeah, and I did that all myself. So when it comes to playing it live, it's been quite tricky to know what's going to work live and well, is that that thing where like you were talking about, you know, the traditional songs, a lot of times it's just the melody line. Hmm. Like you've got to kind of strip a song down to its core. So right. maybe in this circumstance, you know, you you were in the studio, you had all these layers, and now you have to kind of like shed those layers and get to that that core. Sure, yeah. And quite often I go and see someone perform and, you know, it sounds very different to the to the recording and that's fine, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Playing Cornstalk this weekend on, on Sunday, August 18th at 7 p.m. Um, is at 49 Lanou Drive. Uh, I will tell people that they can call 204-477-9740 or email G-A-R-Y-C-O at Shaw.ca. That's GaryCo at Shaw.ca uh, to get tickets. Um, before we go, I'm going to get you to pick a track off of the record so that people can hear that, that studio version of Josh Geffen. Uh, and if you have a reason why you're picking so that song in particular, uh, if you want to fill us in on that. Sure. Well, probably not the two I've played already. Cause sure, yeah. Doubling up. Uh, yeah, I know. I got you to play the one that I uh, was particularly fond of there. So Yeah, I'm, thanks. Yeah, maybe Glow is quite a nice track. So that's number four. And yeah, I'm just really pleased with how that came together and the kind of mixture of the slide guitar and the different layers. Um, and I think that sort of represents the sound of the album quite well. All right. We'll give that one a listen. What's the best place to keep tabs on you? Instagram, Twitter, Facebook? What's your kind of uh, social media of uh, choice? <laughs> well, I try and do Instagram. Yeah. And also, yeah, I mean, I'm on them all. Yeah, Facebook, Instagram. 
yeah look me up on there it'd be great to connect with people on on there perfect well josh thanks very much for coming in and sitting down and, and playing some tunes cool thanks a lot for having me <laughs> Thank you.
Back here on, thank God it's free range. Just earlier this week, Winnipeg's Jay Wood dropped the new single, Moon Cats, which you just heard. And speaking of new singles, Ellis, a fuzz pop artist out of Toronto who uh, signed to Fat Possum Records. They are re-releasing her EP from last year, uh, but also just released a new single called Pringle Creek. That's what we're going to hear next. And coming up right after that, my live session with duo Tragedy N, who stopped by the station on their way out from Guelph, Ontario. And uh, we're going to hear that session and interview right after Ellis, here on 101.5 UMFM. Haven't seen you in days and days on end So I take the train by the lake again You take me to places i 
right, so this one is called Regulars by Tragedy Inn. Howie drinks water so his wife won't smell beer on his breath. I think he's just here to talk to somebody else. Hanging low at the bar, we both know that he won't be tipping. He shows pictures of his family just magazine clippings regulars regulars reserve their chair return to rest there tomorrow And I always ask where she's been She's living for the 31st When she knows that check's coming in And she likes to tell me That she used to date Ronnie Hawkins She stares in each glass like it's there that he's been waiting. Regulars. Regulars. Reserve their chair, return to us there tomorrow. His doctor said not to have more But he doesn't listen With poison in his bones He's dead set that he's going to win Racing with chemo To see who can finish him Regulars Regulars 
deserve their chair Return to us there tomorrow Thank you. 
On a cold, dark night, someone was killed neath the town hall light. There were few at the scene, but they all agreed the man who ran looked a lot like me. The judge said, son, what's your alibi? If you were somewhere else, you won't have to die. I spoke not a word, 
Though it meant my life, I was in the arms of my best friend's wife. She walks these hills in a long black veil. She visits my grave. When the night winds wave, nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody knows but me. The scaffold was high, and eternity near. She stood in the crowd and shed not a tear. But late at night, when the north wind blows in a long black veil, she weeps o'er. Visits my grave when the night winds wave. Nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody knows but me. She walks these hills in a long black veil. She visits my grave when the night winds wail. Nobody knows, nobody sees. Nobody knows but me. Nobody knows. Nobody sees. Nobody knows but me. All right. Well, uh, Braden and Liv, a.k.a. Tragedy Ann, just had them in for a live session. And uh, first of all, thank you for taking some time to play some songs for us. 
It's our pleasure. It's really our first time playing music in Winnipeg. So it's uh, really nice to be able to connect with you and hopefully whoever is listening to you right now. Now, uh, made your way across the shield and uh, it's like a rite of passage, I think, for a touring band to uh, do that stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm always curious because like, you know, especially like a, a lengthy drive like that, right, where there's, you know, few and far between for stops. Uh, does any like songwriting creativity get sparked on the road or is it just kind of like the laboriousness of driving that kind of like beats it out of you? Hmm. Hmm. I I know we have some peers who do a lot of writing while they drive. uh, And personally, I I have trouble focusing enough to do that. And and for me, um, for me to dig into writing it, it it almost becomes a a meditative experience. and, And I feel like that's not, the safest thing for me to be doing behind the wheel. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so for me, the the touring and, and the traveling that we do, hundred percent informs a lot of the writing that that I do, but it's not necessarily happening at the same time. Right. When we were driving over over the last few days, I said to Braden a couple times, "It feels like I'm in a group of seven, uh, which is always so inspiring." And so, yes, it, we draw from that and. Every now and then, Braden will look over at me if I'm in the passenger seat and I'll be writing in my notebook or on my phone notepad, and he'll say, what you doing? Mm. And I'll say, shh, mm-hmm. <laughs> let me focus. Yeah. So occasionally. So you need to be in that meditative zone too then to yeah, keep writing? Yeah, like minimal distraction. Or if there is something that is quote-unquote distracting, it's probably the thing that is providing that inspiration in the first place. So it's good if that keeps going. So the dynamic uh, of the two of you as, as writers and, and creators, was there kind of a period in which you were both doing something like this separately and then had to like fuse styles or find like a, a middle way? Like what was that like? That's been an interesting journey for us for sure because I started writing a lot more for uh, both solo material and material that I uh, write and perform with my sister under the lifers. Mm. And so um, the the style definitely was not in the vein that we currently perform under as Tragedy Anne. And um, it's been really cool because I don't try to write in any particular way. Um, and occasionally a song comes out and I'm like, ah, oh, I think this would sound really good with Braden and I together. Or this I feel like needs needs Anita's voice on here and yeah Mm -hmm. it's almost as if you write and then classify afterwards Mm -hmm. because if I sometimes I get in my head about it and then if I start thinking about a goal Mm -hmm. with the song while I'm writing it it totally bashes into creative time and energy so you have to just surrender those thoughts is that like the like mental place of like mindfulness Versus like starting to like worry or like bring in outside things or not be in the present. Exactly. Sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, that that's something that I, I a journey that I've been undertaking for the past six months or so is just working with mindfulness in a performance uh, context okay. where you know we we practice these songs a lot and we play them a lot on the road and remaining there and present while performing them can be I've discovered that it's something that I need to be deliberate with it's not something that just happens on its own mm-hmm. um, so it's it's been an interesting few months just working on that and and really finding kind of 
mental exercises to do to to stay in that moment. And we were even talking yesterday about how when Braden was wearing contacts, it was one mm. thing, but recently he's been only wearing glasses. And so event- eventually he was like, oh, maybe I'll try performing without my glasses on and without contacts in. And that has kind of mm-hmm. been a way to kind of stay in the zone with everything there, but not quite as crystal clear. And kind of like filtering out aspects of like like the audience or things like that and sort of kind of more focused on the music? Well, I, I can, my, I'm lucky to have fairly good vision. My, my, I, my optometrist tells me that I could drive without my glasses, although I, I prefer, definitely prefer to, to drive with them. Um, so in an, a performance aspect, I can still see the crowd and, and, and connect with the audience and, and eye contact with an audience is, is important with me. But it's almost like I can't look deep into their eyes in the same way. I don't have... There's a softness to it? Yeah, Mm -hmm. a a softness is definitely the the, the way to to describe it. And and I find myself better able to focus on what what I'm I'm doing at the time. Hmm. So you're saying you're kind of bringing like an intentionality or mindfulness to the the performance aspect. Mm -hmm. When you're writing a song and then obviously like rehearsing it, recording it, performing it is there a point at which it kind of becomes like a subconscious thing like it's it's rote in terms of like the where the fingers go on the frets and Mm. and stuff like that so that you are more present in that performative aspect Mm -hmm. i see what you're saying yeah like once once you really wrap your head around the way that you want the song to sound and once you don't have to think about I have to really try to hit this note in a certain way and whatnot definitely in that way it helps but i don't want to ever play music without thinking about anything. Right. Uh, I talk about this with my music students sometimes too, um, making sure that you have some kind of thing that you're playing for. Mm-hmm. Like for me, music is such an emotional experience and to play without emotion is kind of a disservice to yourself, to anyone who might be listening and the songs themselves. Totally. And and I think the, the act of singing or, or performing a, a song that we've we've played a thousand times it becomes ritualistic and, and becomes meditative in the same way that you might see someone saying Hail Marys and the intention or the idea is that you know that they, they are very present in that thing that they've done a thousand times but it, it, it takes you to a different deeper place mm-hmm. through that repetition mm-hmm. um, so I, I think that that's that's what we're trying to get at mm-hmm. it doesn't always necessarily work and it, it's definitely an ongoing uh, journey mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. We, we've we've been there a couple times and it's really exciting when you do get to that place oh yeah and uh, when we recorded our latest album matches it was a really great learning experience with our producer because he focused way less on how the thing sounds technically and way more on did you tell the story? How did you feel about your presence in that song? And almost 100% of the time, if we felt all there and we were really telling the story, everything else fell into place. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that whole mentality shifted for me. Yeah, producer can sometimes be like more like sound engineer credit than producer and mm-hmm. sometimes it's more like uh like almost like a editor for a, like a novelist or something yeah. like helping to kind of <laughs> carve away yeah um how did you land on who you worked with and like w- was was it like foreknowledge that they leaned towards this kind of production 
so for us, we, we were connected with James Paul, who ended up wearing a variety of hats for the album. So he, he did do the audio engineering and the mixing and the producing and the mastering. Mm. So cred, credit to him for just being able to, to change between those different roles seamlessly and objectively. Or just like be them all at the same time. Totally, mm-hmm. totally. Uh, and, and we were connected with him uh, at a venue in Toronto called The Painted Lady. And we played there actually with Rain Hamilton. Um, oh, Winnipeg. Yeah, um, we we played there with her and the the young novelists, and it was uh, at the time that the the very best live sound we had ever had, best on stage sound, and so naturally we were curious uh, to to get to know the the sound operator a little bit better, and and he said his name was James, and he gave us his card, and a year later we were recording with him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you put your finger on what it was about when you say the best live sound? Yes. It felt so natural. Yeah. Like it didn't feel like we were listening to ourselves through a speaker. Mm-hmm. It just felt like I could I could hear everything that I needed to without realizing that mm-hmm. I was hearing everything I needed to. And without getting into the weeds of, of on-stage sound uh, <laughs> engineering too much, he, he uh, did a revolutionary thing for us, which is that he, he gave us the exact same vocal level in each of our monitors um, because he realized that we do a lot of monitoring ourselves off our mic and, and playing off of that. So if you have uh, a sound operator, which some of them do, they'll, they'll try and, and you know adjust things as the, the night goes on in your monitor mix. Mm-hmm. But, but with James that evening in particular, he left it as is and let us do all the work with our microphones. Did he then bring that like awareness to the recording then like that totally knowing that this is something that you two do process wise oh yeah like for example when we did most of the tracking it was pretty much the way that we recorded things in the studio with you turned a little bit so that we weren't exactly facing each other but um almost like we were on stage together Mm -hmm. because that's when it feels most natural to be able to have that eye contact and playing at the same time instead of being isolated in different booths and doing things at different times it just he he intuitively knew that that would be the best way to get a good sound out of us yeah. intuitively and after years and years and years oh, of yeah. experience as well oh, yes. he's uh he, he's been around for a while and, and made a, a lot of really terrific records that we very much admire and listen listen to quite frequently right do you give thought to like if this is on record, how is it on stage? Is that something like when you're when, when you're making a song mm. in a studio? Mm. Is it is that an end in and of itself, or is the like what will mm. this be like on stage downstream? Mm. I I think it it really depends on on the tune. Um, most of the songs from this album we will play live and do fairly regularly. There's one or two that I think really do live on the album and w- one in particular that in, unless we're playing somewhere where they have a, a piano that's in tune we, we we don't necessarily play it and even if they do it's it's a real consideration because I think the nature of the song and the moment that we captured is something that is unique to the space and time that we were in uh, in, in recording that mm-hmm. Well, so then I'm I'm going to put you on the spot here. I always <laughs> like to get the artist to pick a song off of the record at the end of the okay. interview. Mm-hmm. So if if you want to spotlight one of those ones that you think kind of Why don't we do it? Okay. I actually don't know if this has been played on air ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's fine. It's good to play it's, on It's it's artist choice. Yeah. Like I yeah. it's, uh, whatever you want. 
Let's just do it. Okay, <laughs> it's sure. called Young Man in a Middle School Washroom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the song before we play it? Uh, so this tune was the result of of thinking about some some cycles uh, at play um, within finam- uh, f- family dynamics and how they can manifest um, across generations. Mm. And it was um, revisiting some memories from uh, growing up. And it was, yeah, this, this really um, difficult and, and exciting experience in, in the context of the studio because I was kind of left alone in there. We dimmed all the lights and I just kind of ran through it a couple times until James said that that was it. Um, and then Liv played down the, the, laid down the piano and, and James actually put a synthesizer in there way, way down in the bass that uh, we're, we're a big fan of. It's, it's a, a Buchla Music Easel, which is this wacky uh, synthesizer that you'll have to Google because I can't describe it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll give them one a listen. Uh, Liv and Britton, thanks very much for coming in and playing songs and sitting down and talking. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much, us. Michael. This has been great. Hold me to the floor Till I can move no more Try to listen close Hear my breathing slow
ask my neighbor about you, baby. I asked him if your love would save me. He said, listen to me, brother. I can't tell you how to do what's right.
Way back in the spring, we spoke to Neil Francis when he was uh, doing an opening slot at the Burton Cumming Theatre, and he was talking about a record that was going to be coming out this fall. Well, it's getting much closer to the release of Changes, and that is Neil Francis's new album on Karma Chief Records, a subsidiary of Coal Mine Records. And uh, we just heard Can't Live Without Your Love. I got an advanced copy, and that's definitely one of my favorite songs on the record. Uh, before that, Tragedy Ann, and my thanks to Liv and Braden and to uh, Josh, all whom graced the live studio here at UMFM earlier this week. And uh, don't forget to follow both those acts on social media. I've linked to their websites on the show page. Uh, I'm going to close with a new single from River Tiber. Nevada came out on Wednesday, and uh, I'm pretty sure this is its first Winnipeg spin. Hope you enjoy. Stick it around for After 8 Radio. Thank you. 